schedules yeah. per the Mason uh, Hotel. Hotel. So they have a breakfast. Uh, so I came here for breakfast. And then I knew there were birds back here. And so <laughs> I took all those pictures of the hummingbirds. And so I stopped in back there. So She still does her feeders or not? Well, they've been hanging here for years. I, just, I think she still feeds, fills them up. I don't know. But a hummingbird wouldn't eat that. But I've seen her in the mornings on Sundays. Sometimes she's just up and down there along the edge. Now I know why. She's left those hummingbirds. And so, Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Nothing ever changes. So uh, I try. Yeah. Who was it? Uh, I think it was Dan used to yell at everybody, try to get everybody to start, you know, quiet up. So I think it was Dan. Was it Dan? I think it was Dan. Too bad Dan's not here anymore. I haven't talked to him in Big Speeds in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. He messaged us like too long ago asking for like some of the Grandmaster tracks and stuff for some festivals they were going to. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, it's good to stay in touch at least a little bit. Yeah. I had him help me buy a banjo about a, about a year, a little over a year ago, and I thought, well, I'm gonna, while I'm sick, I'm going to try to figure out how to play that thing. That didn't happen. I mean, I can I can do the exercises, but I can't do the the chords. Oh yeah. So. Does going. he play? He plays a little bit. Really? He's he's act. I mean, yeah. Uh, Ellen doesn't like it, but yeah. <laughs> but I always I always wanted to do something like that. I just so yeah. There it is. And it was fun to play around with and get the grandkids messing around with it one day and had fun. But anyway. Uh, Okay, so let's uh, let's get started. So, just a few announcements. Remember, we got the Bible conference coming up. That's actually a week from today is when it starts. So it's the nineteenth. Uh, actually, for us, it starts on the eighteenth when we start loading out everything, bringing all the equipment in, and setting up the building. So most everything will be fairly uh, familiar to everything, except we're not bringing the the, uh, the cutter into the, into the auditorium this year. Uh, I don't have a forklift number one that can lift it. 
and number two, I don't want to move it anyway. It always seems to uh, have problems after we moved it. It's been sitting there for a year. We've made over 12,000 Bibles in the last since the last Bible conference, and it hasn't had one failure. If I move it, it'll break. So I'm just not moving it anymore. It's where it is. It's exactly where it's going to stay. So, uh, but anyway, uh, most everything else will be the same. So we will cut in the armory, which means we need to have people working out there. And so that part is going to be interesting to see how that works out. But anyway, so the Bible conference is coming up. Please sign up if you haven't signed up on the website. Uh, the signing up is only for getting a head count for how many people are going to eat each meal. That's all it is. I don't even think it's asking you your name. It's just like, what meal will you eat? Just check a box. Breakfast, lunch, dinner each day, so we can so uh, the people in the kitchen knows how much food to prepare for each meal. So, uh, so if you can encourage anybody that's coming, if they plan on eating, and food's available for everybody, uh, but uh, and we're going to set up the tent again in front of the church like we did last year, eat out there in the in, the, in this big circus kind of tent, and um, we'll eat out there. Uh, I think breakfast is more like a continental breakfast, you know, so it'd be real simple. But all the other meals are cooked meals or prepared. In fact, I think there's sign-ups in the lobby if you wanted to bring a meal or bring it, not a meal, but bring a dish for a meal. You can sign up in there, you know, casseroles or side dishes or bread or whatever. I don't know. There's a whole list there of different things you can bring. Uh, so please take care of all of that. Uh, the second thing is, is... Um, uh, just kind of keep in mind here next month in is October next month I think it is yeah <laughs> can't keep my calendar straight but October 16th is the weekend that we're scheduled to clean the church again and uh, that worked out really well for us this past year this past month when we or was it whatever those last cleaning time uh, we got that done pretty quick um, and uh, so that's the, the 16th so just kind of keep that in your mind um, so um Please continue to pray for the for the Arnies, especially for Gwen. Um, he's, um, I think his. Uh, well, I had to look at Julie for the status, but basically he's he's doing okay. He's back on chemo, and uh, you know they're monitoring. That's better, better than I can tell you right now. So they're trying to rest and just you know let the Lord work. So just be in prayer for him and, and for Betty. And their whole family, uh, Bud Cross. Haven't seen Bud in the last couple Sundays, so please pray for him. You know he he does have um, he's got lung issues already, uh, just not from COVID. Just I mean he's had lung. I think he's had anyway. Whatever I don't remember now exactly what it is, but his his uh, medical history is that he's got lung problems. So just keep the ask the Lord to protect him and uh, from anything. Pray for Desiree. You're, you're waiting on the results. Okay, so be praying for those for a positive result on that. And um, and uh, we thank the Lord that uh, Joe Schaefer is out of the hospital. And uh, there's other people that, that we can be praying. I think um, Bob mentioned about praying for his ex-wife. Is she doing okay? I mentioned that last week, I think. Yes. She's doing all right now? Yes, she is doing better. Good. I like it when the Lord moves and we can praise Him for what He's doing, and especially in people like like Joe's life and others. Um, on October 16th, also that same weekend, um, that Saturday. Well, actually, I'm not clear on it right now, but as a, I think the harvest party is, it's either going to be the 16th of October or the 23rd of October. I got to get clarity on that, but. Um, at one time, and it's on the church calendar right now in October on the 16th, that Saturday. But then I got a I got an email this past week that re referenced the day to be the 23rd. But anyway, the point is, um, Harvest Party could use some booth booth people to games. You know, to be set up outside as long as it's not raining or not bad weather or not muddy or anything. Um, so the Harvest Party is always a great opportunity to reach out into the community invite the community to come and there's always a lot of people here even even though it's only three hours long there's a lot of people usually here but if you would like to run a booth have a game for for kids or whatever any kind of thing like that uh let uh chris or lauren um uh, cohen know they'll be they'll be leading us again this year 
So just let them know that you might you have a you have this awesome game that kids will love, and uh, what it, no matter what it is, whether it's something to throw or uh, you know ring toss or you know I think the little kids like to pick up the the ducks in the water, you know that kind of stuff. And there's all kinds of different games. Um, usually about 20 booths is what the target number is. Uh, and then of course, if you want to help, I think people, I think they serve hot dogs or something like that as well. Hot dogs and hamburgers too. So anyway, so that's coming up on the calendar. So keep that in mind, be praying for that. Be, consider yourself uh, invited to be a part of that if you want to run a booth, you know, whatever it is. You, know, just, you can just let Chris know, he might even have some ideas for a booth. He just needs somebody to run the booth. So that's something too, you know, I don't have an idea, but maybe he does and he can give you the idea and then you just, you just man the booth. Um, so I know that he'd be looking for people uh, even now, I just, you know, so um, it's six, seven weeks out, whatever the actual day is going to be, I think it is. But anyway, just so be, be, be aware of that, that's coming up. And um, I think that's everything I wanted to mention, just encourage you guys to keep it, keep before you. Anything else? Anybody else has anything that they want to mention? No? Okay. Well, let's turn over to the book of Psalms, chapter 123. Uh, it's a very short uh, chapter. And uh, so we're going to read that, then we'll pray, and I'll, I'll, I'll pause and give opportunity for somebody else that wants to pray to, to pray. And then when they're done, and if somebody else wants to follow suit, then they can. And when it seems like everybody has, come, has prayed that wants to pray, then I'll wrap it all up and then we'll get into our study. So Psalm chapter 123, verses 1 to 4. So it says, Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes upon wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for passages like this that remind us, Lord, that sometimes we have to put up with things. I mean, the scorning of, and, of those for, uh, who are at ease and the scorning of those who are, have contempt uh, for us. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would use us to break through those barriers, that we would be able to, to reach, the, reach them with the gospel message. I'm going to pray specifically for, uh, for Gwayne Arney, Lord, and just... I would just pray that you continue to uh, give him continual rest. And during that time of rest, Lord, that you would uh, heal his body, that you would remove uh, cancer from his body and any other things that he's got going on, and you would just uh, show yourself mighty through his life. I pray, Father, for Bud Crust and just lift him up, Lord. I do pray for him. I don't know what's, uh, he's missed since the last couple of Sundays. Maybe, um, maybe everything is okay, but maybe something's going on. So I pray, Father, for him. Uh, thank you, Lord, for what you've done with Joe Schaefer and and just others that um, uh, we need to lift up. We pray for for Desiree's uh, biopsy results, Lord, that they would come back in a positive uh, status and that uh, all would be well there. We just thank you, Lord, that you allow us to come before you, and we ask, Father, for your your hand to be on our lives in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, as we conclude in prayer, we are just thankful that we're allowed to come before the, the, the throne of, the, of the, the, uh, the creator of all things, the giver of life. Uh, Lord, you are a, uh, 
or a, a God that cares for his creation. You love us and you want us to know you. We thank you for that. We ask now, Lord, that you would speak to us through your through your word this morning as we as we study out the next chapter in the book of Second Corinthians. We just give you the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, real quick, uh, in the bulletin, if you have a bulletin or if you get a bulletin and you go in, there's this little kind of a card thing about the, about the uh, Bible conference. These are our main speakers. Um, so I think most everybody is aware Brian Calloway was, was a missionary to, to Zambia. Uh, he is uh, now on staff at First Bible in, Blue, in uh, First First. Yeah, First Bible Baptist Church in Blue Springs. So he's preaching Sunday. His his pastor, Mark Brown, who's never spent, I don't think Mark's ever been here before. I mean, he might have been here, but he's never spoken here. So he's speaking uh, Monday night. Uh, and then the uh, missionary, Mike Van Horn, who is, um, has been here before and spoken. And we've done projects for him for the Bibles as well. He's speaking Tuesday night. And then uh, we have a Bible translator, Aaron um, I think it's Arion, is how it's pronounced vocally. And he, him and his wife are working on the Albanian Bible to create a new, uh, um, better uh, Textus Receptus based version of the, King, of the Bible. So basically, it's a King James style Bible uh, in Albanian. So they'll be here talking about their project. They'll be speaking on Wednesday night. And then. Um, Terry Ogle speaking, you know, we're, so we'll do those lunch and learn kind of things. So we'll interrupt your lunch while you're eating. Uh, we'll have somebody speak for about 20 minutes. And uh, so Terry's doing one. I think Pastor Brian is doing one another day. And then uh, uh, Tony Godfrey is speaking as well. So that's all. So I just want you to know who the speakers are uh, if you haven't seen that list yet. But that's, what, that's who's speaking. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we've been slowly moving along through this, this book and studying out what Paul has to say and, and, and encourage us as believers, um, really as I titled this study, is uh, being transparent. And uh, so as Christians, we need to be transparent. Not, not that we want to we necessarily need to let people see the, the, the bad things of our life, because we don't, but what we want to see, well, we shouldn't have bad things, should we? But what we should want to see people to see is through our life they should see... Um, God and, and His Son Jesus Christ and the gift of, of life through salvation, and so anyway, so as we start chapter five, um, this is what I have titled is "Laboring Confidently," because the whole theme that this chapter, this book, is being written about is Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth um, to to not not play church politics with who who they're going to follow and who they're going to listen to, but recognize they have a role to play in ministry. Just like you and I, we have a role to play in ministry, which means we're supposed to be serving God to reach the lost with the gospel message. And so anyway, as we start chapter 5, we're encouraged as we read this thing by an important doctrinal truth. It starts off, so he hasn't really laid out a lot of doctrine in this chapter, in this book so far. It's a little bit like chapter 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a book that really corrected doctrine. Uh, this one is not so much in correction of doctrine, but it is... It is giving Paul's testimony to the church about who he is and why he does what he does and how that is impacted by what God is trying to get accomplished. And so uh, so he, he gives us a very important doctrinal truth at the beginning of chapter 5. And so this truth this basically is knowing what happens to the believer should suffering and persecution achieve its intended end. Because what were they, what was trying to, what were, what were the people that were, that were on the heels of Paul trying to do. What were they actually, remember what they were trying to do? They were trying to stop him uh, from ministering and, and proclaiming Jesus Christ. And they were trying to stop him. As, if they had to, they would kill him. They, they, were, they would stop at nothing to stop him from doing what he was committed to do and, and um, commissioned to do by God, which was to tell people about his son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul was very committed. And that's what this whole book really is about, is him telling the church, this is how I do this. This is why I do this. And so in this chapter, he lays out a few doctrinal uh, concepts. He says, this is why I, this is where I get my strength. I've talked about this stuff before, he says, and I want you to know that uh, no matter what has happened to me, I'm, I draw strength from these truths. So he knew that, his, that the end of his tormentors, they sought his death. 
because he was almost daily threatened with bodily harm and bodily injury. They, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stop him. They wanted to hurt him so much that he wouldn't preach again. And as Paul has ministered around the world, the known world at the time, um, the threats that have constantly grown continue to come at him, but he is encouraged, and he wants us to be encouraged by this doctrinal truth that he lays out. So in the face of life-threatening circumstances, with life-protecting truths. So, see, we, we don't just take doctrine for like, okay, this is what I know the Bible says, and this is a teaching of the Bible. Doctrine, it should be a, should be a source of strength for you. The truth ought to be a source of strength for you. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. So from the opening verse of this letter, the opening verses of chapter 1, Paul knew what he faced, and he knew where his comfort came from. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 real quick. We'll just look at a couple of verses real fast. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verse 4, Paul lays out for us, uh, started off, he, he, he gets right to it. I think... Chapter 1, I'm in the wrong book. Sorry. You get to 2 Corinthians. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, Who comforted us with all our tribulation, that he may, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So he understood the plaguing of people that were after him, the situation, whatever his life may be being dealt with, he was, he was aware. And he said, look, I, my comfort, uh, we are comforted in our tribulation. So whatever is going on in your life, you, you should be able to draw comfort from God. Because in, even in the midst of your tribulation, he says, why? That we may be able to comfort others, them, who are, in, in, who are in any trouble. What do we comfort them with? By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. So the thing that comfort me, I should be able to take that and comfort somebody else. That's what Paul is talking about right there at the beginning. And he also says four verses later in verse 8, uh, he says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. There was a time when Paul, you know, he knew that, that the pressure was on. He knew that the people were chasing him down. He was, he was being hunted. And, but he wasn't going to let that, that him being the prey uh, stop him from being the minister. And so remember, we talked about this last week uh, in chapter 4. And we won't turn to look at the, all the verses. But in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he reminded us of, of the troubles that he dealt with and the, the being depressed or distressed that he talked about. He talked about the persecutions that came at him. He talked about being cast down. And we, we looked at those things. We talked about those things last week. But then they started in chapter 6 also in verse 4. Paul speaks of the trials that he has endured. Let's look over to chapter 6 real quick. This kind of just paints a picture. This is Paul, and this is Paul's suffering Yet in his suffering, he is encouraging you and me to be strong in whatever ministry we're in. Somebody that's being beat on constantly from whatever angle is saying, I'll put up with all of this so you can be strong. That's what he's saying to the church. So in chapter 6, verse 4, Paul speaks of the trials that he's endured. He says, But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much, much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness of knowledge, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth. And that's where we're at right now, this word to look at. The word of truth encourages him. By the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, and deceivers and yet true. And then he goes on, that whole chapter, we'll get to chapter 6 and we'll break all that stuff down later on. But, but you see the content, the context of where Paul is at is, I'm suffering, but I'm not going to stop in my ministry. I'm not going to let that keep me from suffering, keep me from enduring the work. So he's not looking for self-pity. He didn't go all through all that to, to, list, to, to seek self-pity from the church at Corinth. He's not seeking your self-pity either. He, he wants to just keep going. And he's saying, this is how I keep going. So notice how he finishes up chapter 4, which we looked at last week. He finished up chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. 
He says, for our light, he called it a light affliction. There's basically everything that he's going on. He says, this is just a light affliction. No big deal. No big deal. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's just a little time in, in, you know, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the context of eternity. This is just but a little time. No big deal. Not a big deal. He goes on and he says, um, but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I mean, this is going to be great what comes after all of this. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's the key part right there. What comes in eternity that, that, that motivates and pushes Paul and, and he strives for that. So as we start up in chapter 5, and now it may seem when you read chapter 5 that he's complaining or he's fearful of death, but he is reflecting on his own life and ministry and where he draws strength and encouragement, which is just in a, as applicable in our own life and ministry for ourselves. I can't get my page to turn. Here we go. Okay, so, so I mean, just think about what he's saying here. Let's just read verses, uh, chapter 5, verses. We'll just read the first four verses for now. Uh, we're only going to make it down probably in, just entering into verse 11. But anyway, uh, verse 10. But anyway, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we, do, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. I'll just keep going for a little bit more. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto his, us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And then you remember this passage, these verses, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and in, to be present with the Lord. That's Paul. That's where he's at. That's At the end of it all, he wants to minister, but that is kind of where he wants to go. I mean, I mean, we're all that way, right? We, we have that desire sometimes to just be with the Lord. And so, so anyway, starting in verse 1, Paul gives us several sources of strength to remain diligent in our ministry, no matter what is going on in our life, and, and attentive to the task of ministry. And I, I'll tell you right now, for myself, it's been hard. There's been times when I have not been able to do what I knew I wanted to do. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I just... I'm going to do what I can as long as I can for 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 the right reasons. Hopefully, not for, I'm not looking for my glory. I'm just looking to God use me as long as you can until this. And we'll talk about this body can't go any further. And then we'll. And then so anyway, so he gives us some things to think about regarding being diligent and attentive to ministry. And we've seen him walk us through several reasons for being involved in ministry already. Remember, we, why are you in? So so the the letter is a is a letter about his about his, basically, his own testimony about why he's involved in ministry. Somebody asks you, why are you involved in ministry? Why do you do what you do? What would you tell them? This is, he's, he's, this is why I do what I do. No matter what I'm suffering, no matter what, I'm, what is hard on me, this is why I do what I do. And so, so he's given that answer. Uh, and so he's recounted, recounted many difficulties and obstacles of ministry. So now he gives us two valuable truths in a doctrinal manner for positive strength to labor confidently. If you read on down through there, you notice he uses that, actually that word being confident twice. And so um, in, verse, in the first 11 verses, we're going to see where we draw strength to stay on course and not waver or depart from ministry. So there's, there's a reason that we should stay on course doing what we're supposed to be doing. And then in the second half of, the le- of this chapter, we're motivated by truth that also encourages us in who Christ is. So not only is... We're talking about Paul here, but he reminds us, this is Christ. This is what it's all about. So, in verses 1 to 8, we draw strength from knowing our expected future. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. Not, not that he's, you know, he's like, oh, I'm so tired of being beat on and stoned and flogged and all of that. I just want to be, go home with the Lord. Just let me, Lord, take me now. That's not what he's doing here. That is not what he's doing. He knows where he's going, and he draws strength from the fact that he knows what the end of his earthly life will look like and that's where we draw that's where we should draw our strength the reason paul brings this up is because too many people fear death 
And then they let that fear limit their ministry efforts for the fear of death. The fear of death is a great inhibitor to keep people from ministering. You know, no matter, you know, I can't go to an, I can't go to a foreign country. I'm too afraid. I can't go across the street. I'm too afraid. I can't, I can't speak to somebody. I'm too afraid. Um, Paul says, why? What is, what is there to be afraid of? Seriously, what is there to be afraid of? Somebody, you know, we, we kind of joke about this when we uh, talk about going door to door. What are they going to pull out a gun? Maybe. <laughs> what does that matter? I mean, seriously, that sounds terrible, but that's what this is where Paul is at. They stoned me. They've beaten me. They've tried to kill me. In fact, and we'll talk about it here in a minute as a reminder, they did kill him once. And so anyway, our ministry should be strengthened by eliminating fear because there is actually nothing to fear. When it comes right down to it, there is nothing to fear. Paul had firsthand experience with death. Look at Acts chapter 14 real quick. This is a reminder. Paul had firsthand experience with this. Acts chapter 14, we'll start in verse 20. And I, brought, I think I brought this up before, but it's good to look about it. Um, we'll go back to 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, which is exactly what's happening or being attempted to happen in, church, in the church at Corinth. They were trying to persuade the people. And having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to, to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. He basically, you know, he, he was stoned. He was thrown out on the street as dead. Uh, he got up uh, and then he kept ministering and he went right back to the place that tried to kill him and he ministered to them again. So, they, you know, they drew a gun and shot him and he said, okay, well, that didn't hurt. And he just keeps on, I mean, I don't know if he actually said that, but, you know, the idea is that and he wasn't going to let that stuff stop him. And so, um, now I'm not saying that if you die, you will come back to life. That's not, what, that's not why we're looking at this. But, but uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 for just a minute. Because this is how Paul described what happened to him in Act 14. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, it is not expedient, chapter 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to vision and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up into the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that when he was caught up into the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it was, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Oh, of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. And so he's basically des- describing what happened to him in Acts chapter 14. He went to heaven. Now, you know, we always hear stories about people that go to heaven and they see, they see, and they talk to the angels and they come back and they tell us what they said. Paul talked to God. It's a little bit of a difference. Paul talked to God. Uh, I'm not saying those people didn't go to heaven. I don't know if they did or didn't. I don't know. But I do know Paul did because he, he, he recorded it in the book of uh, first, or Second Corinthians that he, that he went to heaven. Now, I'm not describing all of this to say that if you die, you will come back to life. Uh, not in this form anyway, but you, if you're a believer, you're saved, you will come back to life. That's, that's the promise that we have, and that's why we don't need to fear anything else. And so, uh, so I'm not saying that, you'll, that when you die, you'll come back to life. Paul's illustration does give us a little understanding, though, of how this can encourage us, too. He, he's, he went to heaven, and that's, where we, that's our destiny as well. And so he knew what awaits us. So he tells us that we have no need to fear. And he used the word back, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again. Notice in verse 4, he says, For we, are, we, we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. And so, uh, now we all know the meaning of mortality, right? I hope everybody does. It means that something's going to die. It has a terminal end. There's, there's, it's not a, it, the opposite of that is immortal, which means never, never death. So mortal means death, 
immortal means never death. I don't know if that's, that's just kind of how I just wrote it down, just never death. So when you're immortal, you're, you have, there's no death for you. So while mortality is death, the opposite is immortal is never death, which is what we as born-again believers have waiting for us. With our, when our mortal bodies cease, our mortal bodies cease, we, we no longer have to be concerned about it because we're immortal. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul talked about this in the first letter that he wrote, 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll just pick it up in verse 53. And Paul's kind of given the contrast here, the description. He says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is, is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. And he goes on and talks about it. We have victory over the grave and so on. And so the point of all of this is that death is swallowed up in victory. And it's such a powerful victory that Paul declares in verse 4 that we just, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, at the end of the verse, notice what he says. Let me just in the right place here. It's not verse 4. I'm looking for... Hmm? I'm in chapter 6. I'm in not, not the right chapter. I am. Okay. Verse 4. For we are in this mortal, in this tabernacle, do groan, being burdened, not for what, that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So death is swallowed up in victory. Mortality is swallowed up in life. So it, you, there's no, more, there's no more mortality for us. We don't have to fear mortality. We don't have to fear death because we're immortal in that sense. And so, okay, so while we're alive on the earth, Paul talks about then, he kind of does a comparison. We're, we're, we, while we're alive on earth, we occupy a tabernacle. Back in chapter 4, verse 7, uh, he, he referred to a, uh, us as being, chapter 4, verse 7, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He used that phrase, earthen vessels. And down in verse 16, uh, he, he, he called us, he called, um, us our, the, our body, our outward man. So there's this concept, what he's referring to here. Um, so when this earthen vessel that we have, that he refers to, when it dies, it is not, it's not us that dies. It's not us that dies. Uh, as our soul and our spirit have only inhabited the body as a tent covering. That's what Paul is trying to make the point of. Your tabernacle, this body, this flesh, is a, is a tent covering who you are. So you're, you're occupying that for the time being. Um, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes, In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So when you got saved, you actually got separated from your body. You're, you are who you are, but your body is a separate thing from who you are. You're, your body is a container. It's a tabernacle. It's a, it's a tent. So in the instant that we die, we will be removed from our earthly body. So when, when this body dies, you're removed from this body. You, you still have an existence. You're removed from the body to an eternal residence and be clothed forever. He says in verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So that Paul, when he's talking about that, he says, I just want you to know that when I die, when I finally do die and his body is no longer a tabernacle for me, it's okay because I will be present with the Lord. That is what we have to look forward to, standing at the door with somebody bringing a gun out. Why are you bothering me? Bang, bang. What do we have? Well, I'm going to be present with the Lord. That's what should motivate us, keep us going. And nothing, nothing's going to take that away from us. That is never going to be removed. It's not mortal. It can't be changed. You're, you're going no matter what you want to do. So back in verse 1, he talks about the home that we occupy today. It is the body made for life on the earth. You know, this body is actually made to live on the earth. I mean, he made it from the earth to live on the earth. Um, 
it's, it's made for life on the earth in our present time, and it may not be the greatest life body that we have. It's not actually the greatest body. We have a better body coming, but it's conditioned for life in the present. Our, you know, our body is conditioned to live here. Yet, according to Second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen, this earthly house is perishable. It means it grows old. It gets weak day by day. And chapter five, verse one, actually uses an interesting word. It says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. you imagine your fleshly body dissolving? And it reminds, I don't know if it does you, but it reminds me of that movie, uh, and Julie hates this movie, uh, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, when you throw the water. <laughs> What's that? I'm melting. You're melting, yeah. Dissolving. You throw that water on it and she, does, she dissolves. She's gone. And uh, so, so that's kind of what he's saying. So, it's, it's, so the idea uh, that, that as you grow older, you get weaker, your body will dissolve. That simply means that it will come to nothing. It will be thrown down. It will be destroyed. This is what happens to this body. We basically return dust to dust, ash to ashes, dust to dust, all that kind of stuff. And so the body is a temporary dwelling place, much like the tabernacle in the Old Testament. You know, the tabernacle built when... when when God told Moses how to build the tabernacle, the tabernacle was a temporary dwelling. It wasn't the permanent dwelling. It was a temp- just this body that we have today, even though it's fit for what we need to do on the earth, it's a temporary inhabitance for us right now. It's a temporary thing. And so the body is temporary place for the soul, and as it is temporary, it can be taken down and moved and separated from the soul at any time. I mean, I mean we can, we, this body can dissolve. My, my body is dissolving. You know, I'm getting old, my body is dissolving. So we make jokes about that, you know, getting old and that kind of stuff. But that's what's happening. That is what's happening. And then in verse 2, he talks about the home that we will be clothed upon. So first, verse 1 is the home that we occupy today. Verse 2, he says in verse 2, For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. There's a whole other house coming. And so Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, we won't turn there. But in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 14, Peter said that he must shortly put off that ta- this tabernacle, the, old, the, the flesh one, as the Lord Jesus Christ has done, and we will do it as well. We'll put this body off at some point in time. This body will go away, and we will move on to the body that God wants us to have. So we are contained in an earthen vessel on the earth, but when the body dies, the soul of those who are saved is translated into a new clothing. We're going to get new, cl- new clothes. Um, and uh, I, I, I didn't get a chance really to go back and look about the, uh, the clothes in white uh, that it talks about in the book of Revelation, but I think there's some parallels there if you have a chance to go look it up for your own, on your own. So we're contained in an earthen vessel on the earth, but when the body dies, the soul is, uh, who is of those that are saved is translated to a new clothing. Paul speaks of this new clothing as a house awaiting us in heaven, and, then, and he said he draws a parallel between these two houses. First, an earthly house in verse 1, and then a, a house from heaven in verse 2. And so the earthly house is also called an earthly vessel in chapter 4, verse 7. So you get this earthly house and this earthly vessel. And every human being is made. Now, we all know this, but this is a good reminder. This is, I think this is actually where Paul was going with this. He's taught a lot of the things that Paul gets into in this chapter... It's not like he had never taught them. He'd been, he was their pastor for 18 months at least. And he wrote letters and he sent people there, Titus and Timothy and others. And he was teaching the church all the time. So this is not something they didn't remember. But sometimes it's good for us to be reminded of some truths that help us, okay, that's right. I am who I have been made to be by God. I have this destiny in front of me, so I don't need to be worried about things the way I am always worried about things. And so anyway, um, so here's, three, here's some things that you need to remember. Every human being is made up of three body, three parts. We are, so the, the Godhead is, a, is a, a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not a trinity. We are what I would call a trichotomy. And we're three pieces. We're three, we're three things. We're a body, we're a soul, and we're a spirit. And we know that from Paul's writing in 1, Timothy, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And Paul reminds the church there, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And that word is not H-O-L-Y. 
holy as in being holy. It's W-H-O-L-L-Y as in whole, complete. Right? He says, God has sanctified you complete, holy, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, and the word whole, complete, all of it, not just part of it, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So man has a form, that would be the body, uh, and we have the breath of life, which would be our spirit, and then we are a living soul. Remember when he breathed, when he breathed into that, clump, that lump of clay back in Genesis, that we became a living soul? And so, so those are the three things that you are. Man has a form, the body. Man has a breath of life, the spirit. And man has a living soul. With those three identifiable parts. But we're all one person. Only believers lost. Only believers. Um, what am I trying to say there? You know, sometimes it's scary when I type stuff in the middle of the night. And then I don't remember what I'm trying to say at the end of the sentence. But anyway. The lost. The, this is only for believers. This idea of body, soul, and spirit. And being separated and having a destiny because the lost they're missing a spirit they're 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 they don't have that living spirit in them yet that's why they need to have the holy spirit and they need to get saved so they have the holy spirit in them and i think again this is another reason why paul is bringing all of these doctrinal truths up because why do we need to get people saved what what is the motive of, what is the motivation that we have that we would do what we do so people can get saved so that they're saved that's the only reason that we should do what we do. It's not because, uh, well, we're, well, no, nobody gets paid really to do the things that we do. So what motivates us? Because we want the lost to have what we have. We want them to have the same opportunities that we have. We want the lost to be saved. And Paul is saying, this is why, because of this truth right here, this ought to motivate you to serve and give you the confidence of what you're trying to do. So anyway, um, at a physical death, which would be the dissolving of your earthly tabernacle, the body separates from the soul, and the spirit returns to the dust, and the spirit, I'm sorry, the, the, yeah, the soul and the spirit, it separates from the soul and the spirit, the body does, and then the body returns to the dust. The spirit, breath of life, departs from the body and returns to God. That's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. That then shall the shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So the spirit goes back to God, and then you're a living soul, and you're clothed in a new house to serve the Lord in a, in a new house in that new new heaven and new clothing. So those three things happen to us all the time. So then he goes on in verses three to five, and he talks about we're clothed. Verse three, he has proven a different. Now, when you read verse three again. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. That's actually a very difficult statement to really, like, what is he trying to say there? And what is he trying to communicate there? So it's, pro it's proven to be a difficult statement for many to, uh, to, to um, uh, expound on this, exactly what he's trying to say. And I make no promises that what I'm about to say would be the right thing. This is what I think is, is Paul trying to communicate here based on everything else and, and comparing everything that he's done so far. But what I see in this verse, in verse 4 and 5, is that Paul means that he is not naked in his ministry. He is in an earthen vessel, but he is also burdened to be clothed upon by the house which is from heaven. So he knows he's not naked right now. He knows, that, but he also knows that he will, he will never be naked, uh, be uh, out of where God wants him to be. The only time that maybe that would happen is if somebody wasn't being obedient to the Lord. So Paul's not concerned with us appearing naked. That's not what he's referring to. That would be a big distraction in ministry, though, if everybody was naked. That's not what he's talking about. I think in verse 5, he's given us an, a sample of what our future clothing will be at, be like. And God gives, he's, God gives us, at the end of verse 5, Now he hath wrought for us the selfsame thing as God, who hath given unto us the earnest of the this, of this, this Spirit. So I think the connection there... God, so we've been given the Spirit. The Spirit indwells in us, and we know that from, from a couple of places. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, 22, Paul writes, Who hath also sealed us and given to us the earnest of the Spirit of our, in our hearts. So he's given to us earnest. What is earnest? It's a promise. It's a guarantee. This is, this, is, this is the down payment and so on. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, if you recall that passage, he says, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that ye believe, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So all of that, he gave a picture to us. This is what's going to happen to you. I'm going to give you an, the, the Holy Spirit as an, inherit, as, a, as an earnest of what's about to happen to you in the future. You're going to be in a new body, a new clothes, and have a new covering to be able to serve me um, uh, for eternity because this immortality is never death. Okay, so, so he's talking about us being clothed. Uh, so it is a hard passage. There's no doubt about it. I, I wrestled with this for several days trying to figure out exactly where, where Paul is going with all of this. And, and this is the best I can come up with right now. So if you have something better, let me know. I'd love to hear it. And so anyway, in verses uh, 6 to 8, we see our confidence. So all of this from verses 1 to 5 brings us a confidence that motivates us and empowers us to serve. But in verses 68, 6, to 6, 7, and 8, our confidence conveys our ministry. He says in verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while, and therefore, what, therefore, everything I just got done saying, this whole thing about clothing and being in, in a tabernacle, being a body, uh, and then getting a new clothing, a new body, uh, therefore we are always confident, because of everything I just got done saying, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Okay, so we understand that in this flesh body, I'm absent from the Lord. I know he's up in heaven. I want to be there one day, but right now he's up there. I'm down here. I have tasks to do. I have responsibilities to, do, to take care of. In verse 7, he says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. My faith is that I'm going there, and until I get, until I, until I get going there, I have things to do here. So we have to serve. In verse 8, we are confident. Notice he says, that we're, again, we're confident. So twice he's said the idea about being confident. In, in three verses, he gives us the idea of being confident. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body than to be present from the Lord or with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor. Notice verse 9 is probably the key to the whole thing. However you slice it, verse 9, wherefore, we labor. Wherefore, because of everything I got done saying, wherefore, notice there's, there's a therefore, there's a wherefore, all of this stuff that all links together, verse 9. We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I think that's the key to this whole, at least this chapter, if not a, a significant key to the whole understanding of what Paul is trying to get at in, this, in the book, is that right there. We labor that we might be accepted of him. That's, that's an incredibly powerful statement. Now, I don't believe that Paul is just giving encouragement to face death with a good attitude. Because you, know, you could take it that way, and I don't think that's actually what he's trying to say. I don't think that's what he's saying. Instead, it's evident that his point is that we must recognize that the work of ministry will not kill you because you're no longer mortal. Mortality has been swallowed up in life. And so while we're in our earthly body, we will not contend, or we are not content to remain here. Nobody's re we all want to go home to be with the Lord. I, I don't think that's, a, that's a, a, an unfair statement to say or an unfair desire to have. We all desire to be, be with the Lord because that's our promise. That is our promise. We want, to, we want to receive the promise as soon as possible. We don't want to die, but we want the promise. Romans 8, 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. We groan sometimes. We wait. We want that to happen. And we know that that's going to happen. We're going to redeem this body. This, this body will dissolve. We'll get a new body, which won't ever dissolve. I think the Bible refers to that as a... What's the word? I just had it. Sorry. It was just right there. I almost grabbed it, but I missed it. Uh, uh, sanctified body we will have a sanctified body it will never it will never wither it'll never dissolve it'll never go away so now I know we're not we are not content with the limitations of mortality and so we earnestly according to verse 2 desire what we what we're looking for we long after we are eager for the day that we find ourselves in our resurrection body and mortality is swallowed up not just of life but eternal life mortality is swallowed up by the eternal life and so now that mortal being, that mortal covering that we start with, the one we have right now, will, it will be replaced with a building of God and house eternal in the heaven. In other words, that is our resurrection body. 
It's a glorified body. It's our mansion mentioned. And remember in John, John chapter 14, verse 2, when Jesus Christ says, I, says I'm going to go and build, and build your mansion and I'll come back and get you and put you in it? What do you think that mansion is? I mean, we think, oh, that's a great, great house to live in. Oh, that's this. That's our new body. That's what he's talking about. He says, I'm going to, make, I'm going to get you a new place to live. A new, a new place to occupy so you can continue to serve. You know, once we, once we die and we're in eternity, you think ministry ends? I don't know what ministry looks like in eternity, but I don't think that we're not going to serve God. I think we will continue to serve somehow. I don't know what that looks like, as the Bible doesn't say. That's part two that we don't have yet. But I think that there is something that we will be doing. And I think we need that body, that special body, to be able to do the things that he did, like, like, boom, in heaven, boom, back again, you know, just within a couple of verses, that kind of stuff, you know, being able to pass through a door, you know, I mean, all that kind of, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I don't know, because we don't know. But we can anticipate that it's going to be greater than this. I mean, if I try to walk through a closed door right now, you know what happens. It hurts. And so we don't do those kind of things. Okay, so anyway... Now we may groan eager to put off this, this new clothing, put on that new clothing, but we know that one day we will be closed upon it all. And so while we're in this body, we have confidence, which means to have a to have good courage. That actually the way the way the word confidence is defined is to have good courage. So we have confidence, meaning to have good courage in the face of potential death. To have good courage is to be full of hope. As Paul was not dejected or cast down, he was not disheartened or discouraged. He was he was just going forward. He was cheerful and happy and patient in the ministry. You know, that's an amazing thing about Paul. He never wavered. He was diligent in his calling, full of hope. Constantly was just encouraging us in this passage here to face death with a good attitude. Instead, he, that's not the only reason. Instead, he, his point is to recognize that the work of ministry will not kill you because you're no longer mortal. You just, you're no longer mortal. Then he gets into verse 9. He talks about the confidence of the doctrine motivating our, our labor. I already kind of pointed that verse out. But now Paul gets to the heart of the passage, which is which we could describe as how to be strengthened by doctrine. But we need to be strengthened. I mean, it's great to know doctrine and, and have, a, have a conversation with people that don't know doctrine and you're trying to teach them and so on. But that's not why we know doctrine. We don't know doctrine just so we can disciple somebody. We know doctrine for our strengthening, for our encouragement, for our motivation. And so, so first we're confident, even while we're in this earthly clothing, that we labor to be accepted of, the, of God. This idea of being accepted, it's not salvation. We're not being, it's not that we, when we please God, we get saved. That's not what he's talking about. When, that acceptance is not that. And it's not, it doesn't have to do with to, to winning your heavenly clothing. It's not like, well, if you, if you do this ministry labor in verse 9 laboring in the ministry uh, that you'll please God you'll be accepted he'll, he'll give you the body that you're asking for that's not what it is either that's not what he means there either this acceptance would be this like in John chapter 8 verse 29 Jesus Christ even had the he understood about this he said Jesus 20 Jesus Christ said in John 8 29 he that sent me is, is with me the father hath not left me alone can anybody make that claim? I mean, as a believer, I think we could say the same thing. Father has not left me alone. For I always, for I do always those things that please him. Jesus Christ did what he did in his ministry uh, to, 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 to rescue the lost and to please his father. Why should we minister? Rescue the lost and please our father. That's the only reason that we should minister. Rescue the lost, please the father. That's what Paul says here, to be accepted of him. Be a sweet savor is another way the Bible says it. We should be a sweet savor to God. That he is pleased with how we have burnt ourselves out serving him if we have to burn ourselves out. So, now we may long for what we know is coming, which is the, re the resurrected glorified body, but we still have to today continue in ministry. And then it gets into verses uh, 10 and 11, and we're not going to have time to, to break this down, but let me just read that passage to kind of whet your appetite for next week. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, here's another thing, doctrinally. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, in his body, receive the things done in his body, according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. 
Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Notice we, because of that, because of that judgment, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. And so Paul is just saying, look, this is, this is why I do the things I do, and I hope this is why you would do the things you would do. And so we're, we're, we're gonna, we'll pause here. We'll, we'll pick up the judgment seat of Christ. We'll dig into that a little bit next week. But that's, uh, I just think this is an awesome thing. And I love verse 9 because it really clears, it clarifies everything. So I may, not, I may have verse 3 and 4 off a little bit. It's a tough place to, you know, I mean, I, I prayed over this thing a long time trying to understand what Paul was trying to say. And when I saw verse 9, when I brought it back to verses 3 and 4, it kind of all tied together a little bit. Not a real, not a real neat bow, but it's kind of lashed together with a bunch of square knots or something. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll be out of here. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for helping us abound in ministry. I do pray, Father, for all of us that we would constantly seek out our way to be able to be uh, a servant to you. And Lord, no matter what our tabernacle looks like today and how it functions today, Lord, use it to the to the glory uh, that rightfully belongs to you and we would make ourselves available to you at all times. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. All right, well, thank you for who is online. Um, We'll uh, catch up with you guys later on. Love you guys. Bye-bye.